this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode by issuing a warrant for the arrest of russian president vladimir putin the international criminal court has upped the ante in the ongoing conflict in ukraine it sets a bar from which retreat will be a trapeze act for the west american president joe biden has hailed the icc decision even as chinese president xi jinping traveled to moscow to meet president putin what impact will this have on the war in ukraine how does this affect international relations what is the writ of the icc and how effective has it been in the past and finally how will the warrant affect the prospects for a negotiated peace in ukraine to discuss all these issues i am joined by atul bhardwaj an independent foreign affairs analyst welcome to the in focus podcast atul ji uh, thank you amit for inviting me so atul ji my first question can you situate uh, this icc warrant in the current context of uh, the russian invasion of ukraine you know the arrest warrant against putin and one of his aides is primarily aimed at you know uh, icc is largely at the moment controlled by the west so it's being used basically to uh, browbeat putin it's being used to basically uh, brand him as a uh, pariah in the international uh, world and to put more restrictions on him primarily because uh, he's at the moment uh, not listening to what the west is trying to tell him and uh, so there has to be some kind of uh, the united nations cannot do much about him because of course russia is a part of the un security council and uh, so this is one of the instruments that the west is using against him to primarily keep him in check and uh, you know restrict his movements uh, i don't know how far this would succeed but this could act as a you know trigger earlier when biden had tried to call putin a war criminal you know at that time uh, you know russia had reacted by calling their ambassadors and then you know warning them against all these things but i think we are moving now the war is sort of moving towards the phase where uh, your know, people are proposing more negotiations to end the war so when the war actually approaches towards that end of negotiations there all these things would help basically you know as bargaining chips later during the negotiations with putin uh, so more of these instruments would be used uh, we'll see how this pans out uh, interestingly the united states uh, russia and india are not um, you know party to the uh, icc and in a sense uh, the icc doesn't apply to them the us has never signed the icc so what is your sense i mean as you rightly point out this could be a bargaining chip but you know the western countries uh, the europe western european countries are all part of the icc so how do you think they'll be able to you know if at some point uh, you know if the world is hoping for a negotiated settlement you know how are they going to pull back from this uh, kind of extreme position that has been adopted Oh, sure let me get give a little background to this whole icc because it's not very common knowledge actually you know we know a lot about the international court of justice but the world doesn't really know because it's it's fairly uh, young basically 
So in a post-World War II, the Allied powers had set up a first international war crimes tribunal. And you know it was known as the Nuremberg Trials to prosecute top Nazi officials. Now what happened is uh, after the Cold War, and this was basically, you know, some people uh, hailed this entire process, but others basically called it as a process of victor justice. After the Cold War, once the Russian, the Soviet pressure was over, uh, the demand for the international court again began to be articulated. Rather than trying through United Nations tribunals, ad hoc international criminal tribunals to deal with war crimes, uh, for example, in former Yugoslavia and Rwanda. So the demand for an international, a a permanent court, uh, which could decide on uh, matters of war crimes uh, came up again. So after prolonged negotiations, you saw that the ICC's founding treaty was adopted in the UN General Assembly at a conference in Rome in July 1998. And after being ratified by more than 60 uh, odd countries, the ICC was established in 2002 in Hague. And now the ICC has jurisdiction. The, The biggest difference between ICC and the International Court of Justice is that ICC uh, has jurisdiction over individual as well. So it can charge individuals with war crimes, genocide and crimes against humanity. So it's not just, for example, the International Court of Justice only looks after the states, can only deals with states are the subjects. But here individuals also become a subject of international law. So this is primarily the difference between ICC and the ICJ. Now, the court, this ICC was designed with the hope that it would uh, sort of deter would-be war criminals, enhance rule of law and offer justice to the victims of genocides and war crimes. Now, as you rightly pointed out, you know, many countries are not members of ICC, including India, China, Russia, United States, Iraq, North Korea, uh, Saudi Arabia, and even Ukraine is not a member of the ICC. Largely because one of the basic things is that all these countries have argued that the very idea of ICC considering making individuals as subjects of the international law basically violates the very principle of sovereignty. So if you can pick up an individual from a state and just say that we got to try this leader from a state, basically you are, uh, you know, you are infringing upon the sovereignty of that particular state. Uh, there is a long history now since it is all uh, 2002 it started operating the court so uh, you know over the years many countries have also left two countries have rather left this court in 2017 uh, Brunei left it uh, following the court's decision to investigate the government's crackdown on opposition protest and more recently in 2019 uh, Philippine president uh, Duratre left uh, you know pulled out of the court because the court had launched an inquiry into his government's war on drugs. And uh, even Gambia and uh, South Africa notified the United Nations in 2016 that they intended to exit the treaty, but they later reversed the course, basically. And that, you know, the, one of the common uh, complaints of the African countries, which actually form the largest block of ICC members, is that it is largely the Africans which have been indicted by the courts. And the courts have largely focused on African crimes rather than focusing on the crimes committed by the larger countries or the bigger countries for that matter or more powerful and rich countries. 
Now, as you again, you said, as for the West is concerned, the European Union is a staunch supporter of the court and America is yet to ratify the treaty. But it has neither, it uses it politically off and on. It has neither abandoned the treaty or nor has it fully endorsed the treaty. Uh, so you saw that happening during the Donald Trump era. Uh, in 2020, Trump administration imposed sanctions on ICC's chief prosecutor, uh, Fatou Besunda, after she advised the ICC to consider seeking charges for human rights abuses committed during the war crimes in Afghanistan, uh, such as alleged rapes and torture by the United States Armed Forces and the CIA. Now, uh, obviously, Trump was furious. Uh, he didn't believe in these liberal institutions in any case. Uh, so he imposed uh, sort of sanctions against this lady and she was, uh, you know, all US persons and companies were forbidden from doing business with Ben Soda. However, when Biden, when Biden administration came back, you know, in 21, in 21, they removed these sanctions basically because they felt that, uh, you know, now uh, it was probably expedient to do away with these sanctions and uh, ICC could be used now uh, for their own pol political purposes. So, Atulji, what I want to ask you now is that how does this pan out? I mean, uh, you know, India, as you are aware, with much fanfare, uh, is hosting the G20 summit. And will uh, the Western leaders, especially those from Europe and the United States, will they be in the same room as Russian President Vladimir Putin when the G20 meeting happens in India? Do you think that's a possibility? There is a possibility, definitely. You know, uh, Putin, you know, India can give him guarantees. There is there's nothing, you know, uh, binding India from actually asking him not to come. No, which is fair. Actually, will the, will the Western uh, leaders agree to sit in the same room as him? No, that is, a, you know, that is, of course, can happen. They, uh, the moment he starts speaking, as it normally happens in the UN, uh, United Nations, you know, the people may walk out and express their protest in some form or the other, or they may not even turn up or uh, the G20 could be in jeopardy for that matter. The entire meeting could be in jeopardy on the issue of, uh, on the issue of Putin coming here or not. The pressure will definitely be on India how to resolve this issue between the West and Russia because India has largely been supportive of Russia in terms of, uh, you know, it's not outrightly condemned Russia in that sense. But it has, it has played a sort of a fine balancing act, wouldn't you say that? Yes, so India will have to play another balancing act at the G20 as it's, uh, you know, it's the onus is now on India how it plays out because uh, India is the leader at, at the helm of G20. So would you agree that the ICC just complicated matters for India quite a bit? Yes, ICC has definitely complicated matters for India. India doesn't in any case endorse ICC. India, in, the, in any case, India has never been in favor of the ICC's jurisdiction because it directly infringes upon the sovereignty of its uh, nations. The other thing I wanted to ask you, you know, just as, um, you know, the US president, as, as you rightly pointed out, you know, ICC could be a political tool for them from time to time. And what you, uh, what, what you revealed about what the Trump administration had done was quite uh, interesting. So the point I, I would like to ask you is that, with Biden backing this warrant and Chinese President Xi Jinping going to Moscow soon after his um, re-election for the third time as the president of the People's Republic of China, being received by Putin, holding talks, all that, 
are we seeing uh, atul ji and you know i'm i'm requesting you to you know tell us the big picture for the benefit of our listeners are we seeing a new division and new harsh hard division among nations you know uh, the world is definitely getting polarized and uh, the cold war as people are saying is uh, you know on the anvil or it is some people say it is even intensified with the ukrainian war uh, and there is a clear cut division in the, this war has brought about russia and china is definitely backing russia uh, is backing russia economically it's backing russia militarily not exactly but it is providing its dual use uh, dual use technologies and the optics of the she visit at this time soon after the icc warrant is issued you know the icc warrant was probably issued in time uh, uh, to coincide with his visit you know now what happens is that the propaganda machines of war uh, you know the propaganda machines both ways it works the western propaganda machine is now associating if you read today's newspapers she has visited and every article every news report will have this mention that he is meeting you know just few days after the icc has uh, issued an arrest warrant so basically now she is also being branded along with putin and anything he does with putin she will be blamed xi jinping is being blamed providing a diplomatic cover to a war criminal primarily so the west has branded him as a war criminal now uh, whether he gets indicted or not putin but he is now an international faraya who is branded in the western media in the western uh, you know perceptions as a war criminal so uh, it would be difficult for china it it makes little things little difficult for china because china is also sort of there is something brewing up against china also xi jinping also at the international court of justice for his whatever uh, for his alleged crimes in xinjiang against uyghur uh, muslims so uh, that is so uh, china in any case cannot uh, you know will never never ever endorse this america is expediently using it at the moment uh, of course you know uh, europe has always been a champion of the international institutions international liberal institutions so it's it's making things difficult it's yes it's making things difficult for both china as well as the west because the negotiations then become little difficult you know um, atul ji since you have a military background i'd like to you know take this opportunity to ask you as to how do you currently assess the course of the ukraine war because there's a lot of fog around it uh, there's a lot of propaganda in fact uh, with modern means of communication you would expect that we would be getting verified information at least for someone who tries to follow the war i find it very difficult so maybe you would help and let us know you know how you see the state of the war you know the war currently if you see uh, i primarily see the war it's a proxy war between uh, uh, between russia and america and uh, of course ukraine is the victim and uh, ukraine really doesn't have much agency at the moment you know it cannot decide either way because if it tries to negotiate with russia you know it is pulled back by the western powers because unless and until their strategic objectives are met so therefore the war is russia has an advantage in the war of course because of its large military size and uh, because of its 
power to use that military also and its intent to use it it has a leadership who has who's intent on you know using that leadership and its power so in that sense russia is an advantage russia has occupied the territories that it wanted the most crucial it wanted to build a land bridge between crimea and russia uh, maripol as recently putin visited these places so advantage is russia at the moment and russia is not backing down from this war russia is not backing out it is it is trying to you know intensify it because it feels that it cannot let ukraine uh, you know go away from within from within its fold it wants ukraine back within its fold it may it may you know offer compromises it may offer uh, you know it may give back some of the territory that it has already occupied from ukraine in a settlement if it it if it all it happens you know uh, which i foresee you know in another f- six months time the negotiations are going to pick up because both sides are sort of exhausted the west is also equally exhausted the western aim primarily in this war is to wean russia away from china and that the western strategists don't see happening that doesn't seem to be happening that doesn't seem to be happening russia is getting uh, you know more embedded into the chinese network as the war is progressing the only hope for the westerners is that russia you know they had hoped that the economically russia would go down and uh, so putin will be on his knees but that has not really happened because when putin launched probably he calculated it well that he is going to have the chinese backing without the backing chinese backing economically he would not have survived the war so but that the chinese have uh, you know uh, really given him a solid economic cover uh, has uh, helped him you know advance the war ukraine of course is in a bad shape you know its arms exports uh, arms imports have increased considerably uh, economically it's in a bad shape it's it's been destroyed also it it would need it would need a large amount of reconstruction you know after the war so uh, there is another uh, west is also a lot of talk is going on in the west like french president when he visited um, washington uh, you know he talked about negotiations as the only process uh, you know which can help this war to end and there will uh, and as any war you know you know will have to end and this particular war cannot linger on for too long because it involves a nuclear power and russia being having 1900 odd nuclear weapons you know cannot uh, you know america cannot take that lightly of course and it cannot the war cannot veer towards uh, a nuclear showdown that is for sure but we saw you know what happened with the reaper drone recently you know it looks as if communication channels between the russians and the um, americans have broken down and they're not talking to each other at all yes there is there are there are as i said the war is basically a proxy war between russia and america and to a large extent the communication channel but there are track to diplomacies uh, you know uh, channels are open and uh, negotiation process could be like chinese president who's there in um, russia at the moment uh, xi jinping primarily is uh, he's there to act as a peacemaker between uh, russia and ukraine the chinese have given a 12 point formula and uh, he's 
Chinese president is likely to talk to Zelensky over a video conference. And because, you know, at one hand, Chinese are also one Ukraine's uh, uh, biggest uh, investors in Ukraine. Before the war began, the Chinese had promised uh, $50 million investments in Ukraine Maripol uh, port. And similarly, the Chinese also uh, get a lot of arms, uh, you know, imports from Ukraine. About 6.3% of the Chinese arms, uh, you know, come from Ukraine. So Chinese in that sense have developed a relationship. There is a, a, a level of interdependence, economic interdependence between the two. And, uh, you know, Ukraine, for example, imports about $7 billion worth of goods to uh, exports, rather $7 billion of goods to uh, China. So what you're saying is that they do also have, the Chinese have some leverage in Ukraine as well. Definitely, the Chinese enjoy some leverage in Ukraine. And the Chinese are going to use that. Uh, when Putin, if at all, he talks to Zelensky, and I'm sure he's going to promise him a lot of quick, faster, uh, uh, you know, uh, post-war reconstruction programs he's going to offer him. And, uh, you know, uh, and I think at the moment, since uh, he is backing Putin in a way, and Putin is listening only to Xi Jinping, uh, he's probably the best bet at the moment to negotiate peace between the two. So just to return to the ICC, what is your sense? I mean, uh, will they up the ante? Will they issue more warrants against other Russian functionaries? What is your sense? You know, look how it works. Let's see that. For the court has about 18 judges and each uh, of them are from a different member country and elected by member states, basically. And the judges and the prosecutors are elected to non-renewable nine-year term. So they have a nine-year term, all these judges and prosecutors at ICC. Uh, the president uh, and the two vice presidents of the court, the current president is a Polish person, uh, are elected from among the judges. So let's see how this operates. Then we'll have a broader picture of you know what's happening and what can happen actually. So Atulji, before I let you go, the question that I want to ask uh, at the end of this podcast is, how is India going to fit into this with, uh, you know, our energy uh, needs coming from Russia, though we have an inimical relationship with the Chinese? We also see these new divisions in the world, which are very stark. And, you know, India is part of the Quad. Uh, they have, you know, tried a balancing act between Russia and the West. You think that the time will now come to make choices or as you uh, suggest that a negotiated end to the Ukraine war will make things easier for India? What's your sense? You know, India, uh, I feel uh, if India sticks to its policy of, uh, you know, maintaining a balance between uh, the Quad uh, or for that matter, Indo-Pacific and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, uh, it would be, it would be, it is beneficial for India because in the long run, if you see, as as the world gets more polarized, now this time the polarization is happening in a manner between USA and China. So if the world, if if countries have to decide between USA and China, it is very difficult for them at the moment because most of the countries are dependent on China for trade, and therefore it is very difficult. The countries are actually most of the countries are detesting against the intensification of Cold War because they don't want to take any sides. You've seen this happening with Saudi Arabia. You know, Saudi Arabia is one of the largest importers of oil. It's uh, China is one of the largest consumers of Saudi Arabian oil. 
Now, Saudi Arabia, although it has got a long historic relationship with America, it doesn't want to destroy its relationship with China. So therefore, it has it has gone ahead and let China be the peacemaker between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So in that sense, most of the countries are expecting, you know, uh, that this Cold War doesn't happen and they don't have to choose sides. So India is at the moment placed well and India should not go and take a decision of going one way or the other because this is not the right time to do that. Atulji, thank you so much, uh, you know, for all those insights into the ICC, the war, the implications and uh, what lies ahead. And uh, we, we, we will return to you and see, uh, you know, how your uh, uh, approach on the negotiations with the Ukraine war pan out. So we will return to you hopefully uh, in another episode of the In Focus podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Atulji, for talking to us. Thank you so much, Amit. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.